Now, remember, uh, I want to say this, you know, we think about breaking part one and part two. I want to remind you that the he- in the Hebrew Bible, first and second Samuel are not split. Now, we have first and second Samuel. Uh, you know, it's hard to say exactly when this happened. It might have been because of the whole codex versus scroll situation. And they didn't want to have a huge... I don't think that's necessarily what it was. They just didn't want to have a super long book. So they sort of split it here. This is a, an interesting split point. But, you know, originally this was just the book of Samuel. Uh, which is uh, interesting because Samuel's not alive for all of it, so that's kind of an interesting thing. But this is, of course, the breaking point in the English Bible here that we're getting to. Uh, And so as we think about what's going on towards the end of part one, when I say part one of David's life, again, I said this last week, we're basically dividing David's life into two portions. Everything before he became a king, and then everything after he became a king. And this is going to be sort of the end of his not-kingness, his, his wandering as a, as a regular Israelite. Now, of course, in chapter 26, Saul claimed to want to reconcile, and then, of course, David fled to the Philistines in chapter 27. And then, as David was in league with the Philistines, right, he's fled over, we talked about this last week, flees and spends some time over with the Philistines, they go to war with Israel. And of course they're going to go to war with Israel because who's Israel's greatest military commander? Was well, David. And now he's on their side. Or quote unquote on their side. You know, he's not with Israel anymore. So of course the Philistines are going to go fight against Israel because now David's not doing anything. So verse tw- uh, chapter 28 verse 1. In those days the Philistines gathered their forces to war to fight against Israel. And Achish, this is the leader of the Philistines, said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, very well, you know, you shall know what your servant can do. Chapter 31 verse 1. The Philistines were fighting against Israel and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Uh, and so Saul has grown desperate, right? He knows that the end is near. And he knew, of course, that the God had that uh, God had abandoned him. God did not have plans for his future. 1 Samuel 28, 5 and 6, when Saul, Saul saw the great army of the Philistines, he was afraid, his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, and we've seen this several times in the life of David, right? Where David has a tricky situation or something he's not sure. He just asks God. Sometimes he asks God through the priest and God answers through the priest. Sometimes he asks God just directly and God answers him directly. Saul presumably would have done similar things, right? Maybe he just prays to God. Maybe he goes to the priest and, and asks them to ask on his behalf. But either way, what? When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or Urim or by prophets. And we have this sort of direct thing that he would give Saul a dream in the past. Uh, Urim would like the casting of lots, right? We're going to make a sort of a, uh, use a a game of chance and God's going to influence the outcome or by a prophet. Prophets can say, hey, do this, this, or this. Nothing. Saul gets nothing because he knows, right? What did he know? That God had told him, you're done, right? Uh, Verse 17, the Lord has done to you as he has spoken by me. Uh, This is, of course, uh, Samuel speaking from beyond the grave. It's a weird story. We're not going to go over because it's life of David that we're focusing on. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. More of the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. These are consequences from back in chapter 15. 
This has been percolating in the background. This has been simmering in Saul's life. One of the reasons he was so adamant against David, right, is God had told him that David was going to take over. Saul was not going to be king. Jonathan was not going to be king after Saul. And so this has sort of been the backdrop of all of the conflict up until now. And things are about to come to a head. Things are about to conclude with Saul. Now, as we go through the death of Saul and David's reaction, because really we're going to be focusing on David's reaction, I want to keep in uh, a, a modern analog firmly in our minds. And I, I really want to sort of emphasize a sort of a contrast. Because we think about what he says here in 1 Samuel 28, that God wanted Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Right? That was the commandment way back in chapter 15. Wipe them out. And of course, Saul did not. He kept the king. He kept the livestock. He kept some of the best stuff. There was no mercy for the Amalekites. No chance of redemption for them. And so when God told them, or God told Saul to wipe them all out, he either obeyed or he didn't. One of the things we're going to see in the contrast of David, how he thinks about the Philistines versus how he thinks about Saul. Even though Saul's just as much an enemy of David as the Philistines are, there's a difference in David's reaction. And of course, we're going to read this verse now. We're going to come to it at the end, Romans 12, 17 through 19. Because we think about our situation versus David and Saul's. It is not the same. There's a difference in how we think about the world and how David and Saul thought about the world. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. That is a command that did not apply to David and Saul. Wipe them all out. More generally to the children of Israel. They go into the land of Canaan, wipe them all out. They weren't to live peaceably with all. Quite the opposite, in fact. There is a difference, a fundamental difference in how we should look at the world and how David and Saul looked at the world. That is wrapped up, of course, in this verse. It really articulates a lot of the difference here. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. How many times have we seen David avenge himself? Several times, really. A lot of vengeance going on with David. But leave it to the wrath of God, for his written vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, it's interesting. We do have this contrast between the time of Israel and our time. But we do see in David, exemplifying time and time again in his dealing with Saul, this kind of attitude. Even though David was living at a time where this wasn't an overall principle, David had this kind of attitude specifically toward Saul, who was his enemy, who wanted him dead who tried to kill him multiple times. And this is the attitude that David demonstrated over and over again in his dealing with Saul. And the people around David had the normal reactions, right? The people around David expected David to kill Saul whenever he had the chance. But David elevated himself above the normal. And we would say it this way. He was holy, set apart, different, did not act the way that everybody else acted in this particular respect. And the question we're going to think about as we go through, how should we feel about the death of God's enemies? In the context of 1 Samuel 31, we have really two enemies. We have the Philistines, and we have Saul. Saul, who has made himself an enemy of God, who God has said, I'm, I'm, you're done, I'm done with you. Right? Saul is an enemy of God for all intents and purposes. And how should we feel about that, such a death? Verse 31, verse 2. Four, the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. Of course, this is, of course, what Samuel said would happen, right? 
the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, I guess, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul and the archers found him. He was badly wounded by the archers. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. Uh, he's not just worried about being killed. He's worried about Philistines doing more than that. Presumably, his wound is so bad from the archery that he's not going to be able to get away, right? He understands this is it for me. His armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And in death, Saul reverts to the personality we saw in his introduction, right? When we introduced to Saul, we looked at this. Oh, man, must have been many months ago. I don't know when it was. At the beginning of the life of David, we did look a bit at Saul. And when we first see him, what is he doing? He's hiding from being king. He's hiding in the baggage, right? He's, he doesn't want to take responsibility. He doesn't want to face something that's difficult. He doesn't want to be in charge. Here we see at the end, he reverts to that similar personality of fear. Fear-based personality. Wanting to avoid the more negative consequence. So he kills himself. It takes the coward's way out. Uh, Later on, this, of course, David hears about this. There's this big route. Now, there's a bunch of stuff in here that we didn't read. But uh, essentially, the Philistines, they find his body. They take his body back. He, he can't be buried because they steal his body. A bunch of Israelites go and, and, and sort of steal his body back and bury him. And then David hears about this. David, who is still in Philistine territory, still living there while this is all taking place. Verse uh, 2 Samuel 1, 5. Then David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? The young man who told him said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. When he looked behind me, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. He said to me, Who are you? I answered, I'm an Amalekite. Just exactly the people that Saul was supposed to totally wipe out. Remember that? to totally devote the Amalekites to destruction. He said to me, stand beside me and kill me for anguish has seized me and yet my life lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. Now, of course, was this true? No, we just read what happened, right? This isn't true. But we see again the contrast between the normal way of thinking and David's way of thinking. Why would this guy tell David that he killed Saul? Because he thinks David's going to be happy about that. Right? Everybody knows that Saul hates David. Everybody knows that David's fled to the Philistines. Everybody knows that David is on the run for his life. Everybody knows that David's going to be the next king. Everybody knows that Saul is standing in the way. And so this guy is thinking in very human terms, I have a chance to get some honor for myself. I'm going to tell David, I, nobody can dispute my story. I'm going to tell David that I killed Saul and he'll be so happy. Oh, I'm so glad you did that. Now I can come home. Oh, let me bestow great riches and honor upon you. Because again, the contrast between the man after God's own heart and the way the world thinks about things. What ends up happening? Uh, we see, oh, this, was, this slide is in the wrong place, but we're going to read it now. That's okay. Uh, because we see this is how the people expected David to act. 1 Samuel 24, 3. David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. This is way back when. The men of David said to him, Here is your day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as seems good to you. This is the people urging David to kill Saul, right? Chapter 26, 8, Abishai said to David, God has given the enemy into your hand this day. Please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. Twice. Men wanted David either to kill Saul or to do it for him. 
So this guy's just like these other guys, right? Part of what made David different was how he thought about Saul and God's expectations. And of course, we're going to read in just a minute what happens to this guy. How does David react? Here we must make a distinction, though. What made Saul worthy of David's consideration? He's, he's going to mourn the death of Saul. Where, for example, the Philistines weren't. David's all up in arms about Saul's death. Saul, who was his enemy, again, just as much as the Philistines were. And in fact, at this point in the narrative, Saul is more of David's enemy than the Philistines. Remember, he's living with the Philistines. So why does he care so much about Saul and not the Philistines, who he's going to wipe out? He's wiped out a ton of them. He's going to wipe them out some more. The difference, of course, being... What does he say to those guys? I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Right? The difference there. We're going to talk about why that's important as we go through, but just keep that in mind. Now, what happens? Verse 11. David took a hold of his clothes after he heard that Saul was dead, right? And tore them, and so did all the men who are with him. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan, his son, for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, Where do you come from? He said, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. David said to him, How is it you were not afraid to put... And I, you know, I, I, I wonder this. I think about this a lot in the narrative. Okay, how is David saying this? Is he saying it sort of tearfully? How is it that you are not afraid? Is he saying it angrily? How is it that you are not afraid? I don't know. I've wondered that. Is he angry? Is he sad? Kind of a mixture probably. How is it that you are not afraid to put out your hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, go and execute him. Unlike what the man thought, David was not happy. He thought he was going to get riches and honor and, and gratitude. And he got retribution. Vengeance, isn't it? Vengeance. Second Samuel, keep reading verse 17, chapter 1. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said it should be taught in the, uh, to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar, he said. And this is a long song. We'll read the first few verses, but it's quite a long song. Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen, tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Ashkelon and Gath are cities of the Philistines. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, let the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. What is he referring to Saul as? Israel's glory. He's referring to Saul as mighty. Saul and Jonathan, of course. Don't advertise. Don't publicize this because we don't want the enemies of God to be able to celebrate this horrible thing that has happened in Israel. Saul's death was not an occasion for rejoicing in David's mind. Even though, again, Saul was the enemy of God. Saul was the enemy of David. Saul had abandoned God. Saul had disobeyed, was forsaken by God himself. God had said, right, you're going to die. This was all according to the plan of God, right? We're not disputing that. Saul's death, let's be clear. Saul's death was the plan of God. From the moment that he abandoned God's commands in, in chapter 15, God's plan was that Saul would die. Kind of like this, right? And yet David does not consider that. Even though it is in the plan of God, David does not consider it a cause for rejoicing. Because God's anointed has died. And so we return to the central application here. What do we learn from David's attitude towards Saul? And again, we're thinking about, we're going to put together a couple of disparate threads here. 
the difference between Saul and the Philistines. Why did David have that difference? He didn't mourn for the Philistines. He mourned for Saul. What, is, what was that about? Okay, we have the difference between David's attitude and everybody else's attitude. Everybody thought David should kill Saul. Saul, uh, David kept refusing. Okay, the difference, everybody thought David would rejoice and David did not. Okay, we have these sort of disparate elements. What do we, how do we put these things together? Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is, I think, David's ethos, right? Why he loves Saul and hates the Philistines, right? This is the difference. In his mind, Saul is still a neighbor. Saul's still part of the people of Israel, even though we know that God has abandoned and forsaken Saul. In David's mind, Saul is still the neighbor. The Philistines are the enemy, right? Love your neighbor and hate your enemies. David's really living this out. But I say to you, that's how it was. Not anymore. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. He makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And I would say there's a gradient here. On the one hand, we have the normal average person in Israel. The average person in Israel who hates the Philistines. Yeah, they hate the enemy. They also hate Saul. They think David should kill Saul. In the middle, we have David, who still hates the Philistines. Don't get me wrong, but loves Saul, treats Saul well. And then we come to us. And we're expected to be better than David and the Israelites. To essentially start lumping in the Philistines with everyone else that we think about in good terms and, and think about how can we be a blessing to them, praying for them, loving them. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 9, 12. When he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If we think about God's commands in the Old Testament, how he dealt with the Philistine Saul, that we've been talking about quite a bit, who is commanded to wipe out the Amalekites utterly. It's not how it is anymore. It was that way while God's special chosen Israel was it? Now that Jesus has come, we're in a different situation. I've never once, nowhere in the Bible, are we commanded to wipe out the enemies of God. Right? That's over. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Why? For I, this is Jesus, right? Jesus came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. In essence, Jesus came to call the Philistines. Now, they're gone by this point, right? Uh, you know, I don't know. They're not a prominent nation at this point. They're probably under Roman rule just like everyone else. But again, if we're thinking about the contrast between David's and how he thought about Saul and Israel and the Philistines, now that Jesus has come, now we're thinking about how to include the Philistines too. The people who were God's enemies for so long, now they're supposed to be included. They're the ones that Jesus has come to call, not the not the righteous, the Israelites, but to include, and we understand this, right? To include all the nations in the people of God. Everybody that the Lord will call to himself. David knew that the Philistines were always to be God's enemies because of the situation he was in. How do we know 
Who will be God's anointed? The answer is we don't. We don't. And so I have to operate under the assumption that anyone I meet could be. Anyone that I meet could be the Lord's anointed. I have no way of telling otherwise. Even if you say, well, I, I talked to that person about Jesus and they rejected me. Well, they might uh, not reject someone else. They might still be converted later. They might still return to God at a different point. You and I should be thinking about everyone the way that David thought about Saul. As one who had forsaken God's commands, one who had turned into an enemy of God, and yet nevertheless was worthy of love and respect and devotion. How David viewed Saul, I'll say it again, how David viewed and treated Saul is how we should view and treat everyone. Because we do not know who can be in the kingdom of God. And so when Paul says in Romans 12, I don't have it, I should have had it again. I could go all the way back. When Paul says in Romans 12, verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's not just applying to people in the church. That applies to the people at work who are jerks to you all the time. That guy who stole your promotion. That guy who won't stop needling you and, and insulting you and persecuting you. That guy who refuses to do anything kind to you ever. Could be a girl. Doesn't have to just be a guy. This applies to them too. In, a se- in essence, this applies now to the Philistines. And so again, we ask the question. This is the question that we had. I think this, my notes are out. How should we feel about the death of God's enemies? On the one hand, I understand the impulse, right? We, we celebrate the death of God's enemies because they were enemies of God. And on the other hand, I think to myself, shouldn't it be sad? Shouldn't it be the cause for mourning? When a person who could have repented and turned to God, a person who could have been with us in heaven, a person who could have, if given a different chance or if approached by someone else or if given more time or if, if, if whatever. We don't know, right? That's the point. It should be sad to us when God's enemies die because they are lost. That is the attitude that Jesus had on the cross, is it not? As they're killing him? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is that the attitude that we have towards our enemies? And if it's not, if you're vindictive and happy when the lost perish, might I suggest that you turn again to the cross and consider 
that were it not for the love that others have shown you, you would be in that position. If someone had not taught you the gospel. And then use that to consider who in your life can you reach with the gospel. The life of David, the end of Saul's life in this transitional period, what we see is David standing in stark contrast to the people around him and providing an example for us to never avenge ourselves, to leave it to the wrath of God, and to mourn even the death of our enemies. Because Jesus does. If you're here tonight, we offer the invitation. If you're an enemy of God now, I want you to know that there is a chance for redemption even now. I don't, I don't, again, I talked about it this morning. I don't care what we've done. Unlike Saul, God has not ever articulated for us a point of no return until you die. You have a chance to return even now. If you're ready, come while we stand and sing.